May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. You know that they say that seeing is believing. Well, a couple years ago, I was in my office, hard at work, flipping through my Facebook news feed. And um, as I was doing that, I came across this little uh, uh, note that said that the city of Hudson um, had a report that there was a black bear in the backyard of a home over on Glen Echo Drive. Maybe some of you remember this happening. Uh, There was a little note from the city, please stay indoors, call the police if you see anything. A few moments later, there was a note uh, and a photo that someone over on Glen Echo Drive had actually taken a photo of a black bear in their backyard underneath the bird feeder. Well, that was it. I was out on my motorcycle and I was heading towards the high school. I wanted to see this black bear and, you know, kind of roaming around. And I do got to admit, there was a time where I went underneath the, the, the Route 80 overpass, you know, right there by the high school. And I kind of envisioned the bear, like, standing up on two legs, hiding behind one of the posts, you know, like in a, in a far side cartoon. You know, he's looking around waiting to, to pounce on me as I came riding through. He wasn't there. Um, but he wasn't anywhere else either. I, I drove all over the neighborhood and, and back in behind. I could not find this bear. My, my one chance to see, you know, this, this black bear in the city. Maybe my not one chance. Maybe there'll be another one. But he, I couldn't find him anywhere. And I was so disappointed. And I think that's the way it works, isn't it? That, that when you really want to see something, when, you, when you're eager to see it and you don't, I mean, you really feel let down. If you're, if you're watching the news and you see somebody like this, you know, like in a neighboring town, they see a black bear and you thought, man, he was just right there. Or maybe you're down in Florida and they, somebody spotted a Florida panther and you're like, oh, I could have seen that. It was like we're down the road from there. And you, you didn't get to see it or, I don't know, maybe a, uh, a dodo bird or, or some warty pig or some you know, rare kind of animals out there. And you could have seen it if only you had been in the right place at the right time. But you weren't. And so you missed it. And so you're disappointed. Um, there are, of course, the ridiculous ones, you know, UFO sightings. Who believes in UFOs? Really? I mean, you're going to see a UFO. It always happens in the most obscure places. You're not going to see that one, right? Or Loch Ness Monster, you know. I was even in Scotland, and my friend says, hey, you know Loch Ness that way? I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, not that interested. And they will never see her. She'll never appear, you know, Nessie the, the Bigfoot. Now, there's a real possibility there, you know, um, and you know I have this sort of uh, this sort of firm belief that he's out there and that we just barely miss him from time to time. Uh, just this week it happens. I was reading uh, online a, a man from Chattanooga County, Georgia, recently wrote this report. I read directly from his his uh, his quote of his sighting. I leave before work at daylight. I live way out in the sticks, as folks say. Uh, I hadn't been a mile or so from home when my headlights caught something. I first took to be some idiot in a monkey suit. But then I thought, why on earth would anyone do that here in the middle of nowhere before daylight? I got, I would guess, within 20 feet of it. My mind was trying to get some realistic answer. It was not a bear. This thing stood, I guess, seven to eight feet. This thing stood upright, just like you and me does. That's what he says, just like you and me does. It it, it stopped in the middle of the road. Uh, Some of you said, like, well, what's wrong with that? Anyway, I stopped to keep it from hitting it, still unsure of what it was. I got a, all caps, very good look at it. What was it? I don't know. I don't know what I saw. Looked like a big, huge monkey walking upright, just like you and me do. Well, some people say I'm crazy. I'm sure they will. That's okay. I wouldn't believe it either if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. 
There it is. You can read accounts just like this on Squatchable.com. And they'll tell you of all the various sightings of the Bigfoots around. Um, and, and so you could have been there. You could have early in the morning in Chattanooga County, Georgia, been driving through and spotted this Bigfoot. Some of you looking at me incredulously like you don't think you could have. But you could have. It could have happened. Isn't it the case that people who would appreciate it most never get the chance to see these things? My mother tells me that when I was just five months old, that she put me on her lap and television turned on so that I would have to watch the uh, uh, Neil Armstrong take his first steps on the moon. She said, I wanted you to be able to say that you saw it, even if you wouldn't remember it. I don't remember it, but apparently I did see it, and apparently it did happen. Um, And that's what we are. We know there's some intrinsic value in some historic event. We want to see it. We want to grasp. You know, somebody says, oh, I I saw Bobby Thompson's shot heard around the world. Or I saw Cassius Clay beat Sonny Liston in 1963. I, I saw that. You know, I didn't see those things. I would have loved to have seen them happen. And even in our mind's eye, we, we know some things are so important that we'll create what they must have looked like. We have um, the painting of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Or Washington crossing the Delaware. I don't know, but I'm guessing he didn't exactly stand up in the boat like that. But it's what somebody imagined he might have done as they're crossing the Delaware. Um, Christ at the Last Supper, these great portraits. What our mind's eye captures, what it must have been like if only we could have seen such things. You heard the reading from the Old Testament, didn't you? From Isaiah the prophet in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. This is what Isaiah says. Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. I believe it started like any normal Sabbath day. That he went to the temple to worship, his church, the, area, the place where the people of God gathered. And he went to the, to the place of worship. And as the liturgy began, something happened. Isaiah was transported from that place, that, that place where he's gathered with the people of God worshiping, and suddenly he's no longer in the temple. He is in the heavenly temple. He's in the courtroom of the Almighty. I don't know whether it happens physically or spiritually or mentally, how it happened that Isaiah was transported, but in some way he was. He had a vision of God. And you know what happened when he saw God? He was shaken to the very core of his being. He was terrified. He was frightened to be in the presence of the Almighty. I think that maybe Isaiah, before that, had envisioned God as something else. You know, in his world, uh, there was one temple where all the people gathered. There were three sections, sort of like there is to this church, where we have a guild hall out there, and and we have a a, a worship space right here, and we have an altar space up here. But in in, uh, Isaiah's world, the wall would have been closed. There would have been a door here. The only people allowed in the door of this upper room would have been the high priest, and him only one time a year. This was a place where God dwelled. And maybe Isaiah had a vision of God that, that God was mysterious and powerful, but somehow able to be confined to a little room. And today, he has a completely different vision of God. He sees God, and what does he say? He says, his train, the train of his robe filled the temple. The very hem of his garment filled the entire space. It could not hold his robe, even the hem of his garment. God was towering above the earth, towering above the temple, larger than he could possibly imagine. And there were angels flying around. Angels who were covering their face and covering their feet. And with two they fly. 
And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. Now, one thing that you might not know about this is this thrice repeated uh, phrase, holy, 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 doesn't occur. You don't find this elsewhere in the Old Testament. Because if you wanted to have a superlative, uh, in English we just simply add an adjective, right? Uh, the most holy or uh, the, the holiest, or you know, some version like that. But in Hebrew you simply would repeat the word. So holy, holy would be the most holy, the holiest. If you said gold, gold, it would be pure gold. If you said, you know, the pits, pits, it would mean that the, the, the prunes were full of pits. You just say the word twice, and it's the superlative. Thrice doesn't happen, but it does here. Holy, holy, holy. God is so holy, so infinitely different. And even this word sometimes catches us off guard. We, we think we know what it means. We, we have some sense of moral purity, of lack of sin. Yes, of course, all of that. But more than that, distinctly different. Unlike any other type, nothing to compare to it. God is not like any of us, not like anything in all of creation. When Isaiah sees God, he is blown away. He's undone. He's terrified. I don't think he sees the form of God. I don't think it's the image of God. God as a, as a being with, uh, with extremities and a robe. and that. I don't think that's what, what Isaiah means. I think those are, are simply uh, metaphors to kind of get us to the issue. He sees God as he really is in character. God is pure and holy. The earth shakes. The place is filled with smoke. This is a vision of majesty and power and awesomeness. But what else does Isaiah see when he sees God? He sees himself, doesn't he? Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. That's what Isaiah says. And I live among a people of unclean lips. We can't even speak properly. Our our, our whole world is filled with a foulness. He sees himself. Um, You know... On occasion, I've thought about, um, you know, like qualitatively how would I evaluate myself as a Christian. You probably never do this, but I do. Uh, you know, I'm always sort of taking my temperature and worrying about things that, you know, and so I, I thought about, you know, one time, um, I wonder where I would rank, you know, like, um, am I ever going to like get where I would like to be? You know, I would, I would love to be saintly. I know I'm not, but I wonder. And so I think about what, how would I think about people? What sort of people would I put on a, on a ladder of, of success in the Christian realm? I think about people like Mother Teresa. You know, um, my, my former pastor, Claude Nicholas, I, I named my oldest son after him. He was a, a great man. He is a great man. still alive. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Or, or maybe some of the older saints, you know, St. Augustine or, or Luther or Calvin or Wesley, Thomas Merton. You know, as I think about these people, and, and I think about the scale, I mean, they're like, um, they're, you know, they're like pretty high. And, and I think about, where would I put Joe Boizel? And I, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm like really way down on this list, you know? Maybe you don't do this. Maybe I, I'm the only one who does. But I think, you know, like, wow, like, all this way, I could barely... And when I think about where they are, where would I put Isaiah? Well, probably way up at the top of that list, Right? And when he sees God, what does Isaiah see in himself? Woe is me. 
The holiest among us sees himself in the face of God and says, Woe is me. Bonhoeffer, uh, when he was in prison in, in Germany during the Second World War, you know he's being held. Uh, he's a, a Christian pastor, a Lutheran pastor. He's eventually executed by the Nazis. He wrote this poem. He says, Who am I? Is the, the title of it. And he says, Who am I? They often tell me I step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I get I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equably, smiling, proudly, like one accustomed to a win. People would say of him, oh, you're amazing. Dietrich, you're doing fantastic. I look at you in prison and you're this model of piety and purity. Am I then really that which other men tell of? Or am I only that which I know of myself, restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for my friends at an infinite distance. He goes on, Who am I? Am I what other people see or am I the self I know inside? This is Bonhoeffer's struggle. He also sees God and sees himself in the light of God. Eugene Peterson translates this verse from Isaiah, Doom. It's doomsday. I'm undone. But that's not the end of the story, is it? An angel flies from God to the altar and picks up this coal, takes it to Isaiah and places it upon his lips, sanctifying, purifying, making him a man of clean lips so that his speech is clean. And then God says, well, who will go and tell people about us? Whom shall we send? Isaiah says, well, there's me. I'll go. He said, me. I wonder this morning what would happen if we saw God. You know, not saw Him in the way that we see you know, one another, not in the way we see this room around us, but if we saw Him in His person, if we saw Him in His character, powerful, holy, majestic. If we get an idea about how big God really is, not confined to this space or any space, Sovereign, limitless, able to do whatever it is God wishes to do. Unaccountable to any of us. What if we saw God like that, morally pure? What would be the first thing to change? And I think the first thing to change in all of us would be the issue of pride. It would just simply melt away, wouldn't it? The first of the seven deadly sins, pride. That we no longer have this right to think that everybody should think like we do. That we would be right about everything when we're not. It would change about the things that that we um, demand that others live up to when we ourselves can't even get there. Um, Anne Lamott says, um, You can safely assume that you've created a God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. She goes on to say, and shares all your political opinions. That would be gone, wouldn't it? We would be purified. We'd be sanctified because we would come into the presence of God and it would change us.
What if we saw God today? We would be frightened and terrified. We would think that death was imminent. But we would be wrong. Because we would see God as He is and we would realize that He wants us to share His holiness. To be like Him. To be purified and empowered to go into the world. You know, today is Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday all over the world, and many people are trying to explain the Trinity. Many, many priests are trying to do what is almost impossible, which is to explain the Trinity. And I didn't try to do that, because how do you explicate something that is unimaginable, unthinkable? You can't. You can't affirm it. You can't embrace it. You can believe it. And we can stop trying to objectify God. It's absurd. God is not an idea to be mastered. God is a person to be worshipped. Bigger than we could imagine, more powerful, more holy, more majestic. If we could see God as He really is, it would change everything. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.